Turn with me to Nehemiah 5, picking up with where we left off. You see the title of today's message, you're all getting a present today. Well, you're really not. Just uh, the message itself is your gift. So hopefully God, uh, God blesses you through it. But we're going to pick up with where we left off in Nehemiah 5. We co- uh, so this is not usual, but we're going to knock a whole chapter out in two Sundays. So I'm very thankful the Lord is doing a miracle in me. So starting in verse 14... Uh, We'll be reading verses 14 through 19. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. And you can even take it home. I know you have digital Bibles on your phone, but there's nothing like page turning. I'm not here to offend if you now are in love with the digital versions. (laughs) You're not in in grotesque sin, if that's your preference. But I personally, I like to mark things up. You know, I like to, like, get highlighters out and all that good stuff. I like to be able to write. Uh, and paper never has data failures either, just so you know. Uh, there's never a... D- fires can mess up paper, but uh, as long as you keep it away from that, there's never going to be a backup data issue uh, with your Bible. It will be right there. I digress. Verse 14. Nehemiah 5, verse 14. Moreover, from that time I was appointed to be their governor. In the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. Boy, the fear of the Lord will help you in every aspect of your life, won't it? Moving on. Verse 16, indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, six choice sheep, a fowl were prepared, also fowl were prepared for me, And once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. It's kind of a closing prayer there of Nehemiah. God, remember that I've done this for their good. And whatever you've done for good, God will remember it. Did you know that? He's not going to forget People will forget. Your end of your review might forget. You ever had that happen? But God won't forget. Let's pray again. Lord, we just ask that you would anoint this time in your word. Lord, remove any distraction, any distraction that would keep us from hearing from the Holy Spirit. Lord, remove it all that we may be drawn into the feet of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, it's one thing to express and proclaim how to live. Tell someone, hey, this is how you should live. It's another thing to live it out, isn't it? Talk can be cheap, can't it? Leaders raised up by the Lord are required to do both. They are required to proclaim it, right? Jesus said, go on and preach the gospel. You're going to have to open your mouth to proclaim it. Leaders are called to do both, to preach it, but also to live it. But for that matter, as believers, 
We've all been called to do both, haven't we? We've all been called to open our mouth, but it must match our lifestyle. By the way, if what we open our mouth and say doesn't match our lifestyle, the world knows how to call us on the carpet, doesn't it? Nehemiah did both. His witness was in his words and in his walk. He faithfully proclaimed the word and the will of God, but he also modeled the character and the nature of God. People have a lot of misconceptions about God, don't you think? Yeah. That's why God wants us to model his real nature. People have had bad fathers. God wants us to demonstrate that he's not. He's actually a good, good father. We saw last week in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 5, remember Nehemiah, he became angry with a righteous anger. He was angry with the greed, with the pride, with the self-centeredness, with the condescension, with the inflicted pain of bondage and slavery and financial manipulation. All of those things made him very angry. Why? Because the heart and nature of God was angry because God's desire is to set people free. Did you know that? The conference coming up? Addiction. Slavery. Sins. Abusive relationships. Constant covetousness. Idolatry. It doesn't matter what it is. God's desire is to set people free. Jesus said it explicitly. Jesus said, if the Son has set you, what? Free. You are free indeed. Now, if he's not set you free, then you're not free. If he has set you free, you're not only free from the things you cognitively are aware of, but you're even free from things you're not even thinking about yet. Isn't that great? Satan, by the way, still tries to, there's lots of areas where he tries to convince me I'm still not free. How about you? Certain fears, certain worries, right? He wants you to think you can't be free. You're never going to be free. But Jesus said, I've made you fully free. And how does God set people free? By giving. By giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. There it is right there. He loved the world. The world could not be set free unless God gave. It's right there, most famous passage perhaps in Scripture. Even under the law, he gave Moses and the people the Ten Commandments. But what they were was a doorway to life. It wasn't just some writings on tablets, it was a doorway to life. Through what? Through truth. If God does not give truth, we have no hope. That's why we preach the word here. That's why every pulpit in the world should preach the word. If we have no truth, we have no hope. There has to be truth to have hope. But he gives, and he's given us more than just truth. Did you know God's given us more than only truth? He's given us truth, but more than truth. So what do you mean by that? Jesus was the truth. He said, I am the truth. But he also said what? I am the way and the life and the truth, right? Why didn't he just say truth? Because we also need a way and we need real life, right? But you need the truth to know the way and to know the life, right? So all three are important. But all of that was accomplished in his giving of his own life in the death and resurrection. We've come into salvation by the lavish generosity of God. The lavish generosity of God and his amazing grace. 
And once we've received by grace and faith, we now have something to give. Isn't that great to know? Once we've received, if I give you, say, well, I don't have any, I don't have any bread to give. Here, here's 10 loaves of bread. Now you have something to give, right? God says, once I've given you, you have something to give. And even if you don't have a penny to your name, if you're here today and you, you walked in and you say, you don't know my life, I, I've lost everything. I don't have a penny to my name. If you don't have a penny to your name, but you have Jesus Christ, you now have something to give. Amen. Why? Because in him is eternal life. And a lot of times what people need is a word, not a dollar bill. You can give people all the money in the world and not change their life. But if you give someone one bit of life-changing truth, you have something to give even if you don't have a penny to your name. And it's his life in us that runs counter to the self-focus of our own flesh. We all have a self-focused flesh. You'll never have to say, I need to start thinking about myself a lot more often. When I see this on TV, I actually see like experts talk about this. I'm like, what planet are you coming from? That's all people do is think about themselves. But we, have, we run counter, the life of Christ in us runs counter to the self-focus of our flesh and of this world. It's the love of God and the life of God. Now think about this. If you've been with us in our Nehemiah study, you can hopefully remember back to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, little bits here and there. If you've been with us and if you're visiting, you go back and read the pastor, or even just read this fifth or maybe the fourth and fifth chapter before it, and it will give you a lot of insight on, on this. But it's the love of God and the life of God that's made Nehemiah a very different kind of leader. Would you agree? A very different kind of leader, especially compared to his contemporaries and certainly leaders uh, today. And it's the life and love of God in us that'll make you and me very different than what we once were. We're going to be showing some testament, video testimonies over the next couple of months. You saw us, um, you saw mine first, and uh, we've shown, I think we've shown one other, and we've got another couple more to show. Uh, but we have been radically changed by the Lord. And so we become very different than what we once were and what the world system still is. And not only that, if we've truly been born again and now walk this life in Christ, others will join us. Others will join us. It's guaranteed. How do I know that's true? Because from the 12 that started, there are now millions of believers worldwide started with just 12. And they tried to kill all of them right, right out of the gate. And they did all except for you know, John the Baptist, the only one that escaped a martyr's death. But it's guaranteed that if we walk in the ways of the Lord, others will follow. Do you believe that? Do you believe that others will follow? Disciples make disciples. It's a biblical truth. Disciples make disciples. Just as me and my wife started out as two and we're now a family of five, and we don't expect to get any bigger until the girls get older, get married, and have kids. So just, just saying. Those days are done, unless God did some kind of Abrahamic uh, miracle or something like that. And we would first need to come in a divine dream or something like that, because we'd rather hold your toddlers than actually go back through that all again. So, um, but we're now a family of five. And someday we hope to have you know, our, 
our girls grow up and give us grandkids that we can mess up and they have to deal with it <laughs> like the rest of you grandparents are doing. But spiritual multiplication happens when we walk in Christ. Spiritual multiplication, Jesus said, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. He didn't say strain or strive. He said, abide in me and you will bear fruit. You will see other disciples come along and walk with you. And here in ancient Jerusalem, God wants Nehemiah to follow and model his generous nature. God wants Nehemiah to be a picture for the people of what it looks like. And he doesn't want it to stop with Nehemiah, but to multiply it in the hearts of the people. So if you're taking notes, we're talking about contagious generosity. The fact that God doesn't want to just make us generous, but he wants that to be something that has a ripple effect. And that the people around us also, you know, those that are in the Lord, to become what God has called them to be as well. And we want to look at four things here. Sometimes I do three. I couldn't do three because there's more than three here. But we want to look at four things that Nehemiah does in his giving that is not just instructive, but it's really commanded to all of us. We all have the same responsibility to walk in this manner. The giving of time, um, as you know, I, I said for next Sunday, I, I, I was trying to hold the men that I can do in 10 minutes because I believe that time is precious. I value your time. I hope you value my time. I genuinely value every person's time in here. I don't like wasting people's time. I don't like just kind of having meetings for no reason. But I believe, and by the way, I have... I used to be in the business world where some meetings, I'm like, why in the world is this? Have we not discussed this 80 times? You know, that kind of thing. And like, time really matters that we make it count. But God gives us time, and someday he's, we're going to give an account of our time. All of it. All of it. All the time. He said, we didn't have any time. God said, but you had Netflix. And you had, you had somehow... You, in your vernacular, thought binge-watching was okay. See, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. That's true. But not everyone has the same amount of discretionary time. Not everyone has the same amount of discretionary time any more than everyone has the exact same amount of discretionary income, right? In this room, some of you have less discretionary income. Some of you say, I don't have any discretionary income. None. And some of you may have very little discretionary time. Some of you have more. If you have special needs children, and some of our, our family, church family does, it may take you an hour or two to run an errand that someone else can run in 30 minutes. And you have to factor that into everything, don't you? It just, it's just a fact. If you have to work two jobs to make ends meet, you may never be able to come here on a Wednesday night. And I will never guilt you and say, why don't you come? The spiritual people are here on Wednesday night. Why aren't you here? You have to work two jobs to make ends meet. If you have a limited number of vacation and personal days, you may never be able to go on a mission trip because of that. It's not a sin. But the question is, what will we, what will we do with the time we are given, and will we be generous with that time? With the time we are given. Not... What? Well, I can't do that because I'm at work. That's okay. God, understand that. But what will you do? What will I do 
with the time that we are given? Do we somehow find time for things we want to do, but they're not for the kingdom of God, and they're not for others? They're, again, self-centered in our focus. Not everyone is able to do this, what Nehemiah does here. Look back at verse 14. Moreover, from that time I was appointed to the governor to be governor of their land of Judah, verse 14, from the 20th year until the 32nd year. 12 years, he says. Not everyone is able to do what Nehemiah does here. Some certainly can do it, perhaps have never even considered it. There might be someone in this room, I would say it's a tiny minority. There may be someone in this room that could pull off what Nehemiah does here. You have to be called to it first, but you have to answer the call when the phone rings, you have to say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. But Nehemiah actually restructured his entire life. Missionaries do this. He restructured his entire life. He took a sabbatical from his career field. Remember, he was part of the inner circle of King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer, which was a high-ranking position. It'd be like having a cabinet position. He took a sabbatical from his career field to devote extra time to the work of God, a very special project that God had given him. He restructured his entire life. Left everybody behind back in Persia, went back to Judah, which, again, he was part of the exile, went back there, restructured everything. Now, not everyone can do that, but there's a principle by the way of application that I think should stand out to all of us. There's a principle here that is applicable to us all. We, everyone in this room, will almost always, almost always, there's sometimes you won't even need to do this, but almost always, if God calls you to, I want you to serve in this way. I want you to go minister to this person. It will rarely be convenient. Did you know that? If you're thinking most of the times it will probably be convenient, change your thinking. I'm here to tell you, it will rarely be convenient. It will almost always get in your way and get on your nerves. Here's the principle. We will almost always need to reprioritize our time to make room for what God is calling us to. We will almost always need to reprioritize something to do what God is calling us to do. Everyone. Jesus said it this way. He said, it's counting the cost. It's counting the cost. Lord, is pleasing you or pleasing myself? Which one is worth it? Nehemiah could have said, he had a great job in Persia. He could have said this, you know, I do, I, I have a good job, I make good money. How about I just send money and do it? Because some people, money, giving money is not a big deal for some people. They have money. But you ask them, hey, I don't want your money, I want your time. Oh, they're about to pass out, right? No, I want your time. I don't want to give time. I'll just write a check. And some of you that have financial, you know, you barely make, you, you can't relate to that maybe. You say, well, you may just stroke a check for it. Yeah, some people, that's not a big deal. Nehemiah could have done that. He had that kind of life. But God said, no, I don't want your money, Nehemiah. I want your time. I want you to restructure everything for this special job that I want you to do. And he does it. And we have here 12 years, not 12 days, not even 12 months, 12 years. I have a 13-year-old. I'm, I'm pretty acquainted with how long that takes. 12 years that Nehemiah has been away from his prior role as cupbearer in, in that inner circle, the most powerful, the most wealthy king on earth. He's away from the empire's 
capital and all the kind of perks that were there. That's quite a commitment, isn't it? This is called busting up your calendar, where God said, I just want you to take the calendar and cut it up, and I will restructure the whole calendar according to what I want you to do. All to leave, he did this all to leave a more stable environment and to go serve hundreds of miles away. And again, our team that's going to go and minister in Guatemala, you guys will meet, you guys have met Jeff and Nicole, but you'll see they've done that with their life. They, they restructured. Zach Cawthorn taught Wednesday night, but he did a great job in discipleship and the breakout groups and everything. Him and Lee have done that. They've, they've given their calendar, their life, their time. They don't have money to give, but they definitely have the time and they've given it. And I know that, you know, here's Nehemiah. He's serving as governor. He said, well, that's a yeah, well, I'd, I'd do it if they made me governor. <laughs> By the way, the bigger the position, the more the pressure. <laughs> Be careful what you think that you would, you would enjoy. Um, it, it, bullseyes are not, not enjoyable, especially when everyone there wants to kill Nehemiah, that's the enemies. That kind of pressure is not enjoyable. But on top of that, he kind of laid down all the perks and everything. I know we use the term public servant for our government officials. That's not always the case now, is it? Would you call all of them public servants? Well, yeah, some are public servants. I'm not gonna, we can't broad brush. There's some that really are, but a lot of them are public fleecers, right? They're not, not serving anybody other than themselves. And, uh, but Nehemiah, this is not the case with him. He's serving the remnant of his brethren, and, the, and he's serving a city that's still rising from the ashes. So this is no walk in the park. It's the equivalent. What Nehemiah's done here, I want to see if this illustrates the point. It's the equivalent of kind of, he was on a luxury cruise ship. You know, you're watching one of those commercials and you say, that would be nice. Royal Caribbean, 10 days, lobster, steak, water slides all over the place. Cool shows that look like I'm, you know, in New York, but I'm actually out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or the Caribbean. It'd be like leaving a, Carib uh, a Caribbean cruise on a incredible presidential suite luxury cruise, leaving that of your own volition to go in a sweaty, dirty environment and build a boat for somebody. Say, you know, I've had enough of being on the ship. I want to go build a boat for someone who just wants to fish to survive, who just wants to fish to make a living. And I have the skills to do it. Nehemiah had the intellect. He had the abilities. He said, I, I'm going to go and give my time in that respect, it takes time and it takes sacrifice, and he took a pay decrease all in the same, all of that he was willing to do. Jesus stepped into time. He stepped into time. He freely gave his time to save us from the end of time, didn't he? Yes. Now, if Jesus is willing to give his time, why would we not be willing to give our time? Well, I want your salvation, but I don't want to follow that whole time-giving thing you did. How does that how does that compute? I believe people are probably even more selfish with time than even money, even though money is a big problem. Um, as I mentioned before, the book of Nehemiah is not a book specifically about money, but it deals with money because God knows money is on people's hearts. It also deals with time because time is constantly on people's hearts. What's this going to cost my time? All of these things, God is looking at the heart. I read yesterday, uh, just in an article in the Wall Street Journal, it said fewer parents volunteering in their kids' schools now. Why? Because everyone is busy. Everyone's busy. You ask anybody, 
You ask a 10-year-old, they'll tell you they're busy. Everyone has the word busy on their mind. Jesus said, there's one thing I want you busy about, busy about my Father's kingdom. Everything else, we probably are going to need to restructure, reprioritize, figure out why am I putting so much emphasis on this? Why am I driving myself into stress over things that God said, I didn't ask you to do all that. I asked you to just love me and love people. Nehemiah says, look, Lord, if you want to use my time, I'm willing to give it. And he does, 12 years. Let's look at the next thing. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people, took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels, yes, even their servants bore ruler, but I did not do so. He said, verse 16, did not buy any land. He didn't buy any land. Verse 18, yet in spite of all this, bottom half of verse 18, last sentence, yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's uh, provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Another thing God wants us to do is be willing to give up for others. Give up for others. You ever seen two kids fighting over something? And the parent finally says, was one of you willing to just give it up? No. No. All right. So the stalemate continues, right? Are we willing to give up for someone else? Say, look, you know what? I don't really need this. You take it. I don't really need Isn't it. You know, it's a little bit um, concerning that, you know, so many people in our country, they just want to acquire and acquire and acquire. I'm amazed at how many storage units keep being built around here. Do we really need more of these things? So it can get stored. No one can use it. It just gets locked away until whatever that A&E show finds it, uh, they rummage <laughs> through it or something. Uh, so it's there until somebody dies, and then all of a sudden, hey, there's baseball cards in here, and there was, hey, there's a wicker chair. Oh, that looks nice, and all this kind of, I don't get it. God's like, why are you hoarding things? You don't have to be just a hoarder in the house. You can be a hoarder outside the house, hoarding in your bank account, hoarding in all these things. But Nehemiah says, I'm not going to hold on to stuff that I don't even need. I'd rather give it away. Let, us, let someone else use it. I mean, there's probably someone in here can has a your kid's grown up, you have a fourth car, and you can afford not to sell it. Give it to someone who needs it. Someone who does, you, you probably could be a force multiplier in somebody's life. Nehemiah was a force multiplier in people's lives. Nehemiah was definitely not in Jerusalem for the money and the perks. If he wanted that, he could have stayed in Persia. He was not in Jerusalem to find his better life. No, he came because of a broken heart over broken walls and broken lives. When you start looking at people's lives more important than anything else, it kind of strips away all this other, I want more, I want more, I need more, I need... Well, of course we need this storage unit. We need two storage units. Do we really need all that? He stayed there. He came. Now he came. Walls could be rebuilt, but he stayed. He stayed. Remember, the walls were built in 52 days. He ends up staying because even though the walls were repaired, he wanted the foundation of the lives to be strong. You know, it's not just about building buildings. And that's part of the problem in the American church today is that you know, some of these building plans. What about building lives? Building people up. If we ever have the finances, I don't really, our deacon and elder can tell you, I, I, if we have the finances, I don't really want to build. We have to build some things. Yes, and if you men stay next week, we'll talk about a few things. 
there's little things we have to accommodate if we were to go to two services. You know, we need everyone's buy-off on these kind of things. We understand that there are things that need to take place. You do have to build out some degree. But I want minimal as possible because I would rather help some single person, single mom, get back on their feet than say, boy, isn't this a beautiful window? How much? You, well, we got a bargain. It was only 10K, right? I could have bought like 10 used cars for something like that. But Nehemiah, he was there to make a spiritual foundation strong. Jesus said, when it comes to shepherd, when it comes to leaders, when it comes to leaders of the people of God, Jesus said, you'll have three kind of things rise up. False prophets, and they teach something opposite of Scripture. They're there to deceive people, to lead them away from God. Then you have hirelings. And lastly, you have genuine shepherds. Those are your three options that God says will lead the people of God. Um, false prophets, as I said, they deceive people and lead them away from God. What do hirelings do? Well, hirelings, they're just like, here's my resume. They're there for the job or the position. It's not about souls. It's not about lives. It's not about salvation. It's not about discipling people. It's not about ministering. It's not about seeing hurting people be restored. It's just religion. It's a career. It's collect a paycheck. That's a hireling. You can find someone who's polished, but if they don't care about souls, all you have is just a form of religion, but it denies the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, you have shepherding. And that's what Nehemiah was, a good shepherd. Pastor David Guzik said, there's something wrong with a minister who will only minister God's people if the money is right. And we got a lot of that in the world. we got a lot of that in America. But Nehemiah, if you're taking notes, three things that he did that, that are worth pointing out. Number one, he rejected the traditional and approved governor's portion. He rejected the traditional and the approved governor's portion. Verse 14, 16, he said, look, I know that this is the norm, but I'm not going to take it. As Christians, we have to be willing to reject the norm. He said, I don't, I don't want the governor's portion. Now, not everyone's able to do what Nehemiah did, by the way. Remember, he left a really good job in Persia. He was able to be self-sufficient for 12 years. Um, but it's also, I think... Wouldn't it be amazing if you saw someone who had a high and wealthy position walk away from it all and really serve people and say, I'm not going to take a salary or anything else? I mean, you know, some of the people that, you know, you look at that are celebrities, what if one of them got radically saved and said, look, I just want to come and be just another co-laborer in the body of Christ, and I'll get behind this mission trip and this person and this life and this young person that got saved? That would be amazing. Well, Nehemiah was kind of that, but he actually wasn't just, God put him in a leadership position. He said, all the skills you have in leadership, I'm going to reuse it. But he didn't want to take any of the provision. He could have sold his portions for a profit. He could have piled up cash and food reserves. But he said, no, I'm not going to hoard that kind of stuff. Uh, he was in, instead, he was interested in sharing. He took the, remember that the portion was the normative thing. So instead of taking the portion, he distributed the portion and said, I want to help other people eat that can't afford to eat. And that's what he did. 
Notice his brothers, it says, nor my brothers, his literal physical brothers, and probably some of what he would consider brethren as well. But we know he had blood brothers, just like my brother sitting right up here on the front row. It would be akin to the fact that he would say, look, my brothers have bought in, and they too, even though if, you're in, if you were in leadership as a king or governor, your family got to participate in all this too. And they were with him. They said, yeah, let's reject it all for the witness of the people. Notice his brothers were inspired by his walking generosity. That's what I would say in here. God wants to inspire us to contagious discipleship, that other people would see and say, hey, that walk, I want to walk like that. Number two, he didn't add financial burdens to the people. He didn't add additional financial burdens. He didn't you know, pressure them and say, you will now send this tax because I'm in charge, and the only way this is going to get fixed is if I tax all of you. He had the authority to do it, but he didn't add additional um, financial burden to them. Now, he does not, you see later in, the, later in the book, he does not remove tithes and offerings because that's to God. He does not remove that. You're going to see this later in the passage. It's not in this text, but later in the book. Matter of fact, he highlights it, the fact that they've been actually negligent in what they should be giving to God. He does not address that here, but he does not add any additional financial burden. It's all done in love. Number three, he refused to acquire any land, although he could have become a real estate magnet. He was in a great position to buy it all up, and he didn't buy it up. What was Nehemiah's driving motivation? Well, we see it says right here in verse 15, because of the fear of the Lord. Last, last line of verse 15. It was the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, when, we're, when our eyes are on God and not on ourselves, when our eyes are on God, it changes us. The fear of the Lord directly impacts how we treat people. You show me someone that treats people poorly, I'll show you someone that doesn't have any fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord directly impacts how we treat people, how we love people, how we care for people. If we love God, we will love other people and we'll care about their needs. We won't just say, eh, lots of people are suffering. Someone else will take care of it. We'll actually care for their needs. And we won't only care for our own. We, God knows you have need. Jesus said that. He goes, your father knows what you have need of. But he wants to take us beyond. The fear of the Lord will take us to others. Let's look at the next one. Number three, taking notes. Giving of effort. Giving of effort. Uh, let's see what it says here in verse 16. Indeed, I also continued the work on the wall. I continued the work. Verse 17, and at my table were 100, 150 Jews and rulers. By the way, when people are at your table... When people are sitting with you, you have to invest in people. This takes time. It takes emotional energy. It takes, <laughs> you know, it takes just strength that sometimes you don't have. Like, you ever not want to have a conversation? You ever just want to just, I just want to eat in peace and not talk? Oh, I have kids. Um, you, know, it, you, ever, you know, you have that when you have to do things, it doesn't matter if it's mental energy or physical energy, you have to exert something to minister to people. You have to exert something to build a wall. You have to exert something to finish a project. And Nehemiah was willing not just to give up his time, not just to give up for others, but also to give effort. Effort. By the way, hardworking people will always succeed. Oh, you know, God, you know, those of you that are employers, 
more than anything else, if you can find people that will just show up and work hard, you're like, wow, you still exist, right? That's a big deal. And Nehemiah was that kind of person. If you're going to effectively lead, if you're going to disciple, if you're going to train people, understand you can't do everything. None of us can. No one in this room can say, I can do it all. I can do all that and a bunch of other things too. You can't do it all, but when it comes to physical labor and actual work, you can't do nothing either as a leader. You can't lead effectively in your home say, well, I just delegate everything. I don't do anything. Everyone is called to labor in the vineyard, Jesus said. Everyone. Nobody can say, well, my life's role is just to supervise. I'm called to supervise. In all places, I'm called to supervise. And we're going to put the tables and chairs together. Not the job of some men say, no, I'll just, you, yeah, that table's a little off. You make sure you move that, move that chair. It is important that you have leaders. It is important that you have someone that's thought conceptually through things, and there's a division of labor. But work must be sacrificed. It must be given. It must be modeled by leaders. Don't misunderstand. Delegation and division of labor is a must. It, it is important that there's a division of labor and there's delegation. Uh, work comes in various forms and flavors and tasks. Uh, if you're a parent, you have to have a work ethic or the family won't eat, right? There has to be a work ethic. But at the same time, your effort and diligence has to be visible to your kids, has to be visible to the family. They have to see your work ethic, that willingness to work. And at the exact same time, you do have to delegate, because like I said at the outset, none of us can do everything. You have to delegate as well. This Wednesday, Dr. Russ is going to be sharing. I'm taking a few Wednesdays. I've got a laundry list of things that I've got to work on, future studies, planning, 2019, Israel trip. I could go on and on and on. I don't have enough hours in the day sometimes to, to get to where like, and spend time in prayer and preparation. So, you know, I'll take some things. But thankfully, we have men and women that can serve in capacities here that say, hey, can you take this? So this Wednesday, Russ is a gifted teacher. He'll be sharing this Wednesday. I'll be here. But I'll sit, but I'll be spending time working on things that are for the fall and for next year. And, and so you have, to, you have to delegate, but at the same time you're delegating, you still have to work on the things that God's given you to work on. Amen? Amen. You have to do both. And Nehemiah was that leader. He was, he was going to do the thing. He was going to division. Remember, if you look at the walls, he had different teams on different sections of the wall, didn't he? But yet he was also working on the wall. If you look back at chapter... Um, uh, four. Turn back to chapter 4 for just a second. Uh, you'll see in verses 6 and 21, uh, it says, So we built the wall. Verse 6. Verse 21. So we labored in the work. Nehemiah did delegate a lot. He put a lot of different teams in different places. He said, you lead this. Levites over here. He had the different teams set up, but he was also part of the work. Not just delegated, but part of it. We have to give effort and work and in life, and supporting, ministering to people. It takes effort to minister to people. This is always going to be the case. It takes time. It takes labor. Sometimes it takes money to minister to people. And Nehemiah, he was a wise leader. He was a fair leader. He was a godly leader. And what I love about him, he was a compassionate leader. Compassionate leader. 
willing to give, and, and, and people could see that. And that's why you can build a stronger foundation with love than you can with just lording over, right? This is good for you husbands, by the way, right? You want to you wanna see your marriage be awesome? Love it to strength, not lord over it to strength. It's also the opposite of love is to neglect it. I never have time for my wife and family. That's a problem too, right? Leadership stays involved. It takes effort. It takes time. But you have to be involved in working at things, whether it's a marriage, whether it is a project, whether it is a church ministry. It doesn't matter what it is. And he sets an example. And God wants us all to have this example. God wants to have our time, our talent, and our treasure, right? All are important, but 100% effort. Understand in the family of God and the body of Christ, from a practical perspective, when you think about effort, God has not made us like robots. We're, we're programmed. We only know about three things to do, right? God, gives, God looks at a composite view of everything. And this is why every family is a little different. Every church family is a little different. You cannot put everything in a box. Do you understand this? You can, everything does not fit in a three-point outline. Today I have a four-point outline. doesn't always fit. Here's what I mean by that. From a practical perspective, when it comes to effort and leading and working hard, but understanding that people can't do the same thing, a person who has a bad back and is 62 is probably not the best candidate for something that's labor-intensive, like physically, who's someone 22 and in great shape. Does that make sense? So if we look at a project this fall, we're not likely to say, hey, you're 62 with a bad back. We'd like you to lug a bunch of bricks. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. But if you're 22 and fully healthy, you really can add something that someone else can't do in that capacity. The young college student, I hate to, uh, this is not to call college students out. I love college students. I was one once. Uh, I read a study. The young college student in America, you know, actually uh, has more available time than anyone in the U.S. labor force. And I can explain why. I don't have time here. I can explain why that breaks down that way. Now, I'm not saying that they don't feel stress about their classes, that some of them don't even feel suicidal and all that stuff. That's a different story. That needs to be dealt with where their mind and their heart is. But the actual available time, and actually, if you have too much time on your hand, you actually become more of a worrier than anything else. But it, we can get, this is a too deep of a thing. That would be a whole other examination. But when you have that kind of time, you have health and energy, imagine if you're using it for the Lord and you're investing it for the Lord. Uh, Born-again college students served like crazy in the early days of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Because as they were getting saved, they had available time, but they had a reason to fill their available hours with the passion of Jesus Christ as opposed to the passion of drinking and partying and doing everything else. And maybe studying, working a job, and all this stuff. And so when we look at available effort, God wants to give us wisdom on how do we find who can do what. You might be someone who might be really up in age and really says, I'm of no value at all. Let me ask you, can you pray? You can labor in prayer. You might tear down strongholds that no one in this room is tearing down if you said, I can't even, I'm a shut-in. You know, someday we'd like to have a shut-in ministry where we actually go visit people who can't leave their house and minister to them. We could do way better than that than we are. I know that. 
but they could tear down strongholds in prayer because they have time for that, even if they're laying on a bed. Uh, single moms here, single dads or whatever, you might not have certain time, but you still have something to give as far as life experience, right? All of these things matter. Let's look at the last thing, giving of giving with simple trust. Giving with simple trust. This is what Nehemiah distills down for him. It distills down for us. It says here at the very end, Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the, um, the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Verse 19, Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He's trusting that God will remember. He's not trusting that anyone else there will fix or pay him back for 12 years of service. He's not counting on them. He's saying, Lord, you have the, you have the ability. Imagine if, thinking about it like this way, imagine you couldn't, you couldn't afford a penny's worth of health insurance, but God says, I'll be your health insurance. I'll heal you of every single thing, and you won't even need it. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and get rid of it. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that in times past, God's had to do that for people. Where it was, if it was not an option, you only have now. If the economy in America crashed, and it could someday, one earthquake in California could knock out every major data center. I, mean, I could go on and on about things that could happen. Uh, we, are, we are on the thinnest of ice you could possibly think of. You, most Americans have no idea how fragile our... It could all go, you know, go down really easy, and you would find out, was I trusting in the grocery store or now Jesus? Say, well, I should have had this prep done, that prep. Oh, God can mess that up too. The people that are the most prepared, God can say, make sure I do one earthquake right at their house and all of it just falls into a crack. <laughs> and now they're like, we had jars of peanut butter, we had this, we had that, you know, it's all gone. You're not, you're not able to out-prepare God. So if you need something, Nehemiah says, whatever I need, God, please remember me. Pastor Chuck, for years, they used to try and get him to worry about this. He's like, I'm not worried. God, God's got me in his hand. I don't need all this other stuff. God's called every single Christian to be a giving and generous person because they trust in God. First give to God. He says, because verse 18, he had two reasons why he was a giver. One was the fear of the Lord, and two was the bondage people were under. Those are really good reasons to give your life out. The fear of the Lord and to see other people's lives transform. First to God and then to others, we want to give in and outside the family. As children of God, like the Father of God, we're to be givers, not takers. The world's full of takers. God says, I saved you. You're not a taker anymore. You're now a giver. He's called us to give of our time, our talent, our treasure, our resources, whatever the case may be. But we can't wait till we feel like giving. Did you know that? You cannot wait till you feel, oh, I, I'm waiting for that euphoric feeling to come down from heaven. I feel like being a giver. That won't happen. Regarding money, listen to what Jesus said. It's a powerful, powerful verse that many people might overlook. But Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Interesting, he does not say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. He says where your treasure is, there will your heart be. He says you're going to have to be a giver before your heart feels like doing it. How do you do that? Trust and obey. 
There's no other way, right? You say, I trust that God says this will work. This, this works with everything. When you give your time before you like giving it, you'll actually start to love the ministry you're giving it to. You will not, it won't happen in reverse. You won't love the ministry, then give your time to it. You'll more than likely need to give your time to it, then you'll love it. Uh, I'm going to help this person before I even really like them. You'll end up liking them. Do you know that? This is the way it works. God says you're, you're obeying truth. Truth is a way and it's the life. Give faithfully to the work of God and you'll fall in love with the ways of God and you'll fall in love with the people God has created, both that are already saved and that are still lost. It's not optional for us to trust in God. It's the only way. Someday it, will, it could be in our lifetime more of a necessity than we're used to. If you were a Christian in parts of India, parts of Africa, parts of North Korea, you would have to trust in ways that you say, well, that, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that kind of trust. I have 10000 in the bank. I don't have to worry about that kind of trust. We have three cars, and they all work really good. Glad I don't have to worry about They don't have that. And Nehemiah did have it, and he kind of walked away from it to say, now I'm living by faith here. The Scriptures tell us that those that are justified by Christ, the just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. And giving is an act of love and gratitude, but equally, it's an act of faith to be a giver, to give of our time, to give of our resources. There's a blessing in giving and in being a generous giver. As we saw in the life of Nehemiah, givers are used by the Lord to build cities, to rebuild to strengthen lives, to set people free from bondage, and see lives healed and transformed. And by the way, some of the most generous and giving people I've met with their time and their financial resources, even if not much, have been far from wealthy and influential. The most giving people I usually meet don't have near as much, and yet they're very free. They'll give you the shirt off their back for real. I'm amazed at some of the people that have that kind of, that kind of heart. They really want to see people um, transform. They don't have influential lives, but they've been influenced by Jesus in that respect. Understand, no believer, and I, I want to close with these last couple thoughts, so hold your attention for one second. No believer will experience the blessing of being a generous giver until they become one. You can't just learn it by observing Nehemiah. You have to start to walk in the footsteps. You say, well, that was great. I'll just learn it from a distance. You'll never experience... The blessing of being a generous giver until you and I become one. Conversely, there's a strong warning from Jesus and Scripture. And again, from Jesus himself, there's a strong, strong warning. According to Christ, in his parable about the Good Samaritan, just one example, by the way, the only one that Jesus said had genuine faith was the man who stopped and gave his time and his money. The only one. Jesus said the other ones, they, they were going to the temple. They did a lot of church stuff. They had no time and did not want to give. Jesus said the only one that had genuine faith was that Samaritan man, which they thought was a heathen you know, half-breed. That's what they thought. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus takes it a step further than that. In Matthew 25, a sobering chapter, he goes all the way to the end of the, end of the age, and it's the division of sheep and goats. You ever heard of that? The division of sheep and goats. And people are separated, and the highly religious are shocked that Jesus calls them out for not grotesque sins. 
He didn't say, and you were involved in this kind of debauchery and this kind of debauchery and this kind of sin. No, he said, you did not give or visit anyone in prison or have any time for people. You had no time for anybody, and you did not give to these needs. He says, this is the proof that you are not of me. Isn't that amazing? That's what he points to at the end of the age. Charles Wesley, he said, when a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now, if that man, when he gets all that he can and saves all he can, does not give all he can, I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than for that man. That the life of Christ transforms the way we think, but it transforms the way we act. If Nehemiah didn't act this way, God would have never chosen him in the first place. He would have chosen somebody else. If Jesus has given you salvation, the gratitude and encouragement of what he's done through Nehemiah well, that's greater than the warning. Gratitude is even greater than the warning. The warning's there because it's needed. Stop signs are there to keep us from getting hit by locomotives, right? But God also gives us the knowledge to know, do you want to see lives rebuilt? Do you want to see cities rebuilt? I'll use your giving and your generosity in the process. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you again for your amazing grace. Lord, we want to be generous because you were generous. You didn't give a drop of blood. You didn't give like to the United Way or the Red Cross blood drive. You gave all of your blood. You died a sacrificial and cruel death to save us, Lord, from ourselves, from sin and from death. And Lord... As Hebrews 12 says, it's our reasonable service now to be living sacrifices, to give our lives back. Whatever that means, Lord, just the breath is in our lungs, the, the means that we have to give of time, the available discretionary time that we have. Lord, the money that's in our wallet, it all belongs to you. Lord, every single thing, every breath in here belongs to you. And Lord, it's our desire, Lord, to be generous because you're a lavishly generous God. And we just want to say thank you for giving and teaching us, Lord, to trust in you and to obey you. And Lord, we believe that, that you'll do great and mighty things as we do that. 